Welcome back in listeners to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have another special episode for you. This is the second of the three Stage Whisper Creator Pick shows we have for you. Joining us, we have the writer and performer, Nikhil Parmer, who is starring in Amina Hamid Productions' presentation of the Bush Theater production of Invisible. Playing now through July 2nd at 59E59 Theaters. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting 59E59.org. And as we mentioned, this is a Stage Whisper Creators pick. This show was absolutely amazing. We saw it back-to-back with another show on Saturday. So it was a double-day fun for us. And we are so excited to have Nikhil Palmer with us. So with that, Nikhil, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Andre. Nice to be here. I am just over the moon. I loved your show. As we were talking before we started, it was a show that when it initially started, I thought we were going to go one way and just have this like knockabout, slapabout comedy. And then, I mean, I don't know at what point all of a sudden I was like, oh, we are talking about some serious stuff. And by the end of the show, I was like, how did he manage to get us here? I mean, the issues that you were dealing with in the show, even though it very much felt like almost a futuristic or, or, or uh, I don't know, like a sci-fi kind of thing. Cause we're dealing with the, you know, I don't want to give it away, but you know, yeah. The, yeah. A, a big event that hasn't happened. I'll say, yeah. I was like, how was he able to make this so relevant and, I left the theater just being like, this is part of the bigger conversation we've been having. Holy cow. And I just, I left and I was walking the streets and I was like, this show, you know, like pointing to it. And I'm like, this is what we need to hear. So I'm being incredibly vague. (laughs) And so why don't you clear up the muddy waters first by starting to tell us what Invisible is about. Sure. Well, thanks so much for saying that. I really appreciate that. um, Yeah, that you liked it and you got so much from it. So... Yeah, I mean, the play is basically about it's set in a world in which this is this is sort of the premise. So I can give this away as like the, as the overall concept, but it's set in a world in which Islamic fundamentalism no longer exists. It's kind of it was a thing in about seven years before the play starts. It was a thing, and then by the time we meet this character in this world, it sort of ceased to be an issue. And our central character is a guy called Zion, who's a brown actor, British Indian actor in his mid twenties who only ever played, he only ever got jobs as playing terrorist parts on TV. And since the end of terrorism for brown people, he's basically been unemployed. And so his life is in disarray. He's got all sorts of stuff going on in his personal life that I won't give away because it's it's fun. The reveals are kind of fun. But basically he he comes to the, the worrying realization that maybe life was better when white people thought brown people were terrorists. And actually instead of thinking they're terrorists now they just don't see them at all so they they brown people have in effect become invisible and he gets this notion into his head and it sort of leads him down this dark and dangerous path with a quite crazy absurd solution and yeah things things kind of go awry from there yes and it's i do want to mention that it is a comedy of yes. sorts yeah, yeah, yeah. which yeah. is brilliant i i just want to blurt this thought out i think to to our listeners uh, and and pay a high compliment when i left the best way to describe it truly was a mix of 
Ain't No Mo, the play by Jordan E. Cooper, mixed with the book from Shuck, the musical. It was just such smart comedic writing with great topical issues mixed with it. You know, it, it really was just so smart and yet so disarming and humorous at the same time. Yeah. So how did you come up with the idea for Invisible? So the idea actually came is the only thing I've ever come up with, which literally just came from sort of like a, a, a one line joke that I made. I was chatting with my my ex when we were going out. We were she, she'd just seen a film called The Reluctant Fundamentalist. She just read the book, rather, the, the very famous book called The Reluctant Fundamentalist. And I Googled the book and saw that they'd made a film and that Riz Ahmed, who's a brilliant British Asian actor, had played the part in the film. And I was looking through Riz's filmography and all the things that he'd done. He's one of my favorite actors. And I I saw about seven or eight films or TV shows that were in some way connected to Islamic fundamentalism. And I said to my ex, look, if it wasn't for Islamic fundamentalism, it's almost as if we wouldn't have this guy like would he you know what other parts would he have got because there just aren't that many parts for us and she wasn't really listening and then so to, to get her attention I just started my acting career at this point I was about six months in so I was unemployed and I said to her as a joke I really hope brown people are still blowing things up so I can get a job out of it and she turned around like sharply and she was like Nick don't say things like that but I was I was said I was joking then I thought like what pers- what level of pain and desperation and suffering could someone have been through in order to genuinely believe that for their life to be better, it's better off being seen as a threat. And if you're, you know, if you, if the choice is between being seen as something bad or not being seen at all, you'd probably want the bad thing if you were in pain, because to not be seen when you're in pain and when you're suffering is, is like, it's the most, it's the, it's the sad, it's the worst thing ever. So Zion was sort of born out of that. And, I wanted him to be funny because I really like, I really like when a story or a show or a, a film or whatever is political, but that sometimes the characters within it don't know that it is. And Zion is kind of unaware of the genre of the thing that he's in for most of the play. He doesn't really realize that he's in this tragedy about politics and race. And he's quite a self-interested person and which makes him kind of relatable and funny because he's actually not fundamentally interested in, you know, revolution. He's actually just a self-interested person who is quick-witted and funny and sharp and a bit of an idiot. And I think that's, it's it's more relatable for an audience rather than having a character who's philosophically aware and politi- politically astute, because I think otherwise it becomes a bit preachy. Yeah. So this isn't the first rendition of the show. I played at the Bush Theater. Can you take us a little bit down how the show's been developed and and the process of it and everything? Sure, yeah. So I wrote it originally as a TV pilot years and years ago. That was the first thing I ever wrote was this pilot called Invisible. We could never get it away as a TV show back then, but we I got my agent through it. And with my agent, we decided it, it would work well as a one-person play to like really draw out that character. So I wrote it as a play which was, you know, this, the first draft of Invisible and the Bush are a great, amazing theatre in London who do pretty much exclusively new writing and they have an open submissions thing every year. So I sent it to them, genuinely not knowing if it was any good at that time. And they 
put me onto their emerging writers group, which is a residency where you have six writers who are at early stages in their career and they develop your second play. But throughout that year, we would always come back to Invisible and we'd keep talking about the Bush saying, we said, you know, we, we'd really want to put this on eventually. And so, yeah, and, and then about a couple of years ago, they said they were they were keen to put it on. And then we started like the redrafting process. And that was like quite an extensive, extensive process because it's, there's a lot going on in the players. I'm sure you can attest to, I think like it was about finding what is the core of that story and what did, you know, what are the necessary, because it's quite a high concept to get the audience on board with, with the Islamic fundamentalist elements and stuff. So it's, you've got to do a lot of exposition at the front, but also keep it very funny so that they're in, but, you know, have have enough in there in terms of the character's pain and suffering and trauma that when it does turn, you don't feel shortchanged and you don't feel like it was a cynical turn. So that was kind of a, a lot of the process of the rewriting was was fine-tuning that. And we were rewriting right up until, you know, press night and the first run in 2022, and which was hard because obviously I'm acting it as well. And sometimes I'd be midway through a line, you know, on stage and I realize I'm, this is a line from like three drafts ago and I need to like <laughs> a way out of it. But yeah, it was uh, Georgia Green, who's my director, who's also a writer. She's incredible with you know, dra- dramaturgically and Deirdre O'Halloran at the Bush as well, who was our dramaturg really really helped in like fine-tuning it and getting it really taught so that there's basically no wasted moments is what we wanted we want it's only an hour show and so we wanted it to feel like you know it zips by really quickly and it does move very quickly but even, i even left and i was like there was no way that was an hour it felt yeah. it's like a good meal you don't feel overstuffed but you feel very full so what's the message or thought you're hoping that the audience takes away from the show it's interesting. I don't, I, I guess I want them to, it's more of a sort of a feeling of empathy with Zion that I'm trying to make them leave with, I think. I think oftentimes when someone does some, when when a person does commit an act of violence, for instance, or does, you know, bad things, we separate ourselves from them and convince ourselves we could never be capable of those things. But I guess what I want to, what I want to do with this play is have you on board with this character, but because he's funny. And that was one thing that I realized quite early on is like in a one person play, if the character is funny and the audience are laughing, they'll go with him. They'll go with them to the end of the, you know, you can take them so far if he's still funny. And I think I wanted to establish that complicity with the audience and Zion from the get go, where you think, Oh, this guy's kind of funny. He's a bit of an idiot. I quite want him to do well. And you sort of then you're then like hitched to his wagon as it goes darker and darker and darker. And then he does these things. And I guess I wanted to leave the audience with this question of like, well, you know, how would I respond if if I was in Zion's shoes and all those things had happened to me, how would I respond? And, and, and is, is violence and rage sometimes, you know, though, though it can be inexcusable in its manifestations, is it, does it make sense? And was it like a logical and rational choice for him? So yeah, it's not so much a message. And I, I guess also the, the 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 idea of invisibility, although it's seen through the prism of this brown character, it's not supposed to be exclusive to brownness in its in its resonance. You know, I think everybody, you know, I have I have any demographic like straight white men, cis, you know, who, who come and and feel moved and almost radicalized and 
uh, agitated by the message of the play because they felt it's a lot about it's a, a lot of it's about disrespect and it's about like if you if you are if you are hemmed into this one perception because of the way you look or the way you seem or the way people treat you and that perception is limiting and stifling and you want to break free of it and this play is sort of a it's an expression of that it's an expression of my anger at the fact that there might be a ceiling to what I'm allowed to do because of my race. And I think other people have it because of gender, ability, you know, or, or you know, religion, any, any ism really it can apply to. And I think I really want people to feel connected to that. And actually to, if, if there can be some catharsis from seeing it expressed and told in a story, then that would be ideal. Yes. So wrapping up this first part of the interview, I want to ask, who do you hope have access to Invisible? It's a good question. I mean, I it's interesting. In 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 London, the Bush Theatre where we where we opened, so we did it three weeks in summer 2022, and then we just did it for three weeks before we moved here. And the audiences they get are extremely, you know, extremely diverse. And like, you know, oftentimes majority people of colour, which has been really, really interesting. We get a lot of people who'd never been to the theatre before because you know the bush market quite heavily to the surrounding areas who you know are not necessarily your west end theater audience so the conversations that i would have after the show were just incredible there were these people that basically didn't know that a play could feel like that and thought that a play was like a sort of a removed emotional experience where you sit back and appreciate something that's sophisticated and elevated but it doesn't necessarily move you so that was great and i i really hope that as we get the message out there, like with interviews like this, that we get similar people coming to see the play, because I think, yeah, it's it's nice to, it's nice to, because I, I had a weird relationship with theatre where I never went as a kid and never really thought it was something that I was interested in. And then when I knew that I wanted to act and I wanted to write, I went to uni in London. I sort of made a concerted effort to go and see as much theatre as I possibly could. And it was only when I was going once a week or twice a week in London as a 21-year-old or 19-year-old that I was like, oh, this this actually could be an art form for me. And I but I needed those gateway drugs of a few, you know, one-person plays or duologues at like smaller theatres where you're like, oh, it can feel alive and it can feel angry and acute and fiery. And I think I really hope that some of the people we see in New York have that some of the people that come see the play in New York, you know, that we can be that for them. So yeah, uh, you know, young people, people who don't really go and see plays, people of color who sort of, you know, I had some great conversations last night after the play here and also in London with people of color who come up and, and say, you know, a version of what we were just talking about, which is that like, I felt that and like, you know, that, that expression of that anger really did something for them and allowed them to, and that's what stories at their best are supposed to do you know you're supposed to sort of allow yourself to 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 embody this character vicariously let them go through this catharsis and then you feel slightly better about life because you've seen that play out and you've experienced a safe version of it where you didn't have to be violent but you saw someone else do the things that you maybe wanted to do or flirted in your head with doing but that you know because you have <laughs> a lot to lose you don't do and so, yeah, it's been incredibly fun to play to those people. It's also fun to play to like, you know, it's just a complete mix here. You know, last night we had a lot of my family in who are, you know, Indian people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. 
Then we had a lot of older white American audiences in their sort of 70s. And it was it was nice just watching them sort of like chat after the show and just hear the different experiences because it's, you know, you obviously hope that the themes are universal. So, yeah. up now and give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better and i want to start off by asking what or who inspire you what playwrights composers or shows inspire you or some of your favorites i actually so so there's a bit in the play where so the, the play is it, it, i i see the play as like a love letter to stories i think it's it's about storytelling the need for stories the need to see ourselves in stories and also the power of stories, what eventually happens in the play, which I won't spoil, is communicated through through a story. Like it, it the, the the way things take hold is through story in quite a a way that's we will be obvious when you see the play. And that whole theme was something I've I've always been interested in that theme generally. But Martin McDonough's play, The Pillow Man, I don't know if you've read or seen, but that is. One of my favorite. I've not I've never actually seen it perform, but I am seeing it next month on the West End. They're, they've just opened. I think they're still previewing now, but it's. I read it quite late. You know, I've, I've been a Martin McDonough fan for years. I'd read almost all of his other plays. I'd seen loads of them and obviously his films as well. But I read The Pillow Man maybe five, six years ago and was like, just couldn't believe the like the intricate beauty of it, but also just like the. The theme is so well connected throughout that whole play. This idea that stories, stories are powerful and they can, they communicate something that we, we, we're unable to, the reason we have them is we can't communicate the things we want to communicate through normal language. We need these characters created. And I think the Kareem, the part of the play where I tell the story about the brown actor and the white actor was itself that that whole thing was inspired by the the way the pillow man ventures into fairy tale and i wanted that part of the play to feel like a fable and it's like this kind of apocryphal story that's going to be told from generation to generation through the brown community and is going to have this rippling effect where it's gonna you know it's going to affect everyone because it's such a powerful story so yeah that was a major inspiration for me i love i mean I'm. I love everyone. I like any. A dialogue is the thing that I love writing the most. I love like a lot of the play is quite quick fire dialogue between characters, and I really like the rhythm of that. So you know, you kind of Sorkin, Pinter, Mamet, those guys are really big for me. But yeah, and then I, I also like a lot of American comedy, like you know Judd Apatow or any of those guys. So yeah, I mean, I've got a, a wide range. I think in terms of dialogue, the only other people I'd say is. Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright, and then Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, which is kind of like all of my comedy DNA is probably in their in their early work. So yeah, love all that. Well, building on that, have you? I know you've been busy here doing mm-hmm. Invisible, which is amazing. But have you seen any great theater lately? You might be able to recommend to any of our listeners. I've actually got tickets to go see Goodnight Oscar today up the matinee, which I'm really excited about. Love Sean Hayes big fan of his podcast so yeah I'm and I'm I'm really excited for that have I seen 
anything else recently i mean we were doing the play for three weeks in london i don't think i've seen anything in a little bit that i saw lenny james uh, lenny sorry lenny henry's play at the bush which is incredible august in england yeah not seen anything I've, I've basically been in play performing mode for the last that's the sad thing about doing a play is you don't get to see any other plays because you're on the same schedule that's fair that's fair <laughs> What is your favorite part about working in the theater? I mean, it's it it's it's so different as a as an actor and as a writer. Actually, I think I think because I'd only done so. Invisible is my first play as a writer or an actor. I'd it's the first play I've written, and I'd, I'd only ever acted. I've only done TV and film as an actor for the last seven years in England. So I was completely new to theater acting in terms of professional stuff. I mean, the, the obvious thing is that like that sort of connection you get with people, being able to sort of feel the attention of the room calcify when when the play starts to turn into that play that is just i find that the most addictive thing ever when you can sort of when you've got them on side and they're laughing and you're sort of in control and but then you're you're, you're peppering those early moments of the play those early com- comedic moments with these small seeds of like pain and trauma and you can see you know the the really engaged audience members are sort of keeping up with where you're at which is like like, okay, this is funny, but he's clearly in pain. And then you watch them just become so still when the play properly turns. That's that's so addictive. I mean, the rehearsal period is also something I'd never experienced before because you don't rehearse for film and TV much. But that was so funny, like working with Georgia and our stage manager, Lois, in London. You know, going in every day and, and figuring out these scenes and talking about them, intellectualizing it, then, like, making it active and alive I love that and I guess as a writer because I having only written tv and film before for this play there's just so many more words in a play you've got so much more you can say and it's so much freer you know tv and film is very obviously extremely structured and you know you get in and out of scenes as quick as possible because you just don't have the same amount of real estate as you do in in theater but yeah for someone who loves writing dialogue writing for theater is just the best because it's just all dialogue. I love that. That is a great answer. One I haven't heard before, so I love it. Mm-hmm. And that leads me to my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Personal memory would be an invisible, like one of the invisible shows. There was a show this run, which was I was just so happy with it. I got to a really acute place of emotion that I was really proud of. But I have to say... Favorite theater memory, it's got to be seeing a play. I mean, I actually think the ferryman, when I saw the ferryman in the, for the first time, that ending I thought was so epic and so. I've, I've, I've like, when the, I, I'm a sucker for a good cut to black. And when it, like, just when the lights went it, on the blackout, I was just like, oh, I think I've just seen one of the best things I've ever seen. And I went and saw it again. I just think it's so, I think it's, I'm, I'm trying to write a play at the moment with loads of characters. And I've just written a TV thing with like loads of characters. And it's so hard to push plot through when you've got this many characters that you want to give voice to and life to, but to also have it like so smart and the theme just threaded through it. And I think he just did the best job. Jez, Jez Butterworth is another one I met and didn't mention when I was talking about dialogue. But yeah, I remember when the lights went out on that. I think I was on my own and I was like, wow, I just I haven't seen anything like that ever. I love that. That is a fabulous memory. 
Thank you for sharing that awesome memory. That was fabulous. <laughs> Are there any other projects or productions you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of things coming out. I've got I've, I've got a film. I don't have a film. I'm in a film called Gran Turismo, which is like my first sort of, yeah, my first film, actually. And it's, it's a great story about a racing car driver who, it's about a guy who, who's so good at the game Gran Turismo that he becomes a professional racing car driver. And it's a true story and it's amazing. I play his best friend and that's out in cinemas in August. And then, yeah, I'm filming a show called The Rig as soon as I finish this, which is on Amazon Prime. You can see the first season. But other than that, I'm just going to be writing away and hopefully I'll have a new play soon and we can take it back to 5959. 59. We can have this conversation again about that in however many years it takes me to do that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just working away on various things. Well, wonderful. Well, it sounds like you're keeping busy and that our listeners need to stay in touch. So if our listeners want more information about Invisible or about you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter at Nick Palmer 13 or at Nikki Palmer 13 on Instagram. Uh, yeah. And for invisible, I believe the website is 5959.org. Is that correct? Yeah. But yeah, I would love people to come see the show and to chat afterwards, etc. We're really happy with it. And we we're on for a week and a half longer. So we close second of July. Well, Nikhil, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about your incredible, incredible show and that amazing memory and just everything else. This has been an absolute blast. What a way to start my day. This is incredible. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. It was a lot of fun. Really, yeah. Really appreciate it. I'm really glad you like the show as well. Thank you. My guest today has been the writer and performer, Nikhil Parmer who's currently starring in the production of Invisible that is playing now through July 2nd at 59E59 Theatres. Tickets and more information are available at 59E59.org. And we also have some contact information for Nikhil that we'll be posting on our episode description as well as on our social media post. But we want to remind you all that this is a Stage Whisper creator's choice. You do not want to miss this show. We highly recommend it. You will not be disappointed. And if for some strange reason you are, you come talk to us, we'll put you on the right path. But you are not going to want to miss the show. It's Invisible. It was playing now through July 2nd. It is in Theater C at the 59E59 Theater. So hurry and get your tickets. I'm certain it's going to be selling out. So get your tickets now. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One sang the praises of Cape. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. 
Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.